0: Hey everyone we're off this week for the holidays so instead of taping a brand new episode we're going to play a recent episode that we really enjoyed even if the subject matter is a little bit hard to swallow actually it's pretty easy to swallow But uh,
1: on this show we're going to be talking about microplastics those teensy tiny little bits of plastic waste that end up in your food and in your water without you even realizing it Microplastics are a byproduct of our plastic dependent world, and they are absolutely everywhere on the planet. That's why we asked WIRED doomsday reporter Matt Simon to come on to the show and talk about the problem because he wrote a book about it.
0: So the subject may be a little bit depressing, but still we managed to have fun. (laughs) Yeah, sure. (laughs) And it'll probably make you look a little bit differently at all of the packaging and the products you're about to unwrap this week. So enjoy the show, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Gadget Lab. Lauren. Mike.
1: Lauren, would you care to guess how much plastic is in your digestive system right now?
0: No, I would not care to.
1: (laughs) Why? Does it scare you to think about? Yeah, it
0: does. Also, I feel like it's probably unquantifiable. I'll tell you how much plastic is under my kitchen sink right now because a sign of adulthood is that you just collect like 42 plastic bags and stuff them in other plastic bags.
1: Right. You should stop using those plastic bags. You should just
0: never run out of plastic bags.
1: Well, eventually they break down and they end up in your body.
0: I know This is the scary part.
1: It really is. I
0: have a feeling this is what we're going to talk about on this week's show.
1: It is what we're going to talk about. So buckle up. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Gadget Lab. I am Michael Kalori. I'm a senior editor at Wired.
0: And I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired.
1: We're also joined by Wired science writer Matt Simon. Welcome back, Matt. Thank you.
2: Good to be back to ruin everything
1: for you, per the usual.
0: <laughs> yeah. Our staff doomsday reporter.
1: You are. You are our resident doomsayer. Uh, Matt is one of our climate reporters, and he's always writing stories about how we're destroying the planet, how our policies are failing us, how we're all going to die sooner than we think. This time, Matt, you're here because you've written a book that is out this week. It's called A Poison Like No Other, How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies. It's exactly as cheerful (laughs) as it sounds. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) I have to tell you, a a lot of you who listen know that Mike and I are friends outside of this podcast. I have spent holidays with Mike and his wife. We sometimes go for jogs together. We talk about stuff that you're never going to hear. But... This weekend, we went for a run and like a race, like we're, we're doing a race. And Mike is like constantly talking about Matt's book. Just like <laughs> we go for food afterwards. And he's like, oh, plastic, plastic, plastic. Oh, and did you know this about plastic? And did you know that there, you have plastic in your body right now? And I was like, Mike,
1: nah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> the doomsday. But we need to talk about it. We do. And we do.
1: Matt, you you wrote the book about it. So I'm sure you know that you start to see it everywhere.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, and that's why I apologize for ruining everything, because microplastic, unlike macroplastic, which is the bottles and bags, that sort of thing floating on, on the ocean, microplastic is literally everywhere. And I, I'm not exaggerating. It's been found everywhere in the atmosphere, everywhere in the ocean, on the highest peaks of these remote mountains, deepest ocean bottoms, absolutely everywhere. And scientists are just beginning to come to grips with that reality and figuring out the consequences,
1: which are looking very, very not good. Well, let's, uh, no pun intended, break it down. Mm. Uh, What are you talking about when we we use the word microplastics?
2: Sure. As it's defined among scientists, it is particles that are smaller than five millimeters. And, you know, if a piece of plastic is five and a half millimeters long, you don't want to, like, Hey, you can't be a microplastic. I'm sorry, but for the standardization of microplastic science, everything smaller than five millimeters. That um, goes down to the nanoscale as well. So there are also things called nanoplastics, which are even smaller, typically defined as a millionth of a meter long. Um, these are small enough to get into individual cells, um, obviously problematic, and are found in far higher quantities in the environment and elsewhere um, than microplastics, just because they're, they're smaller, there's just much more of them. So yes, for the standardization of microplastic science, as they're, just, you know, comparing all these figures, I found this much in the ocean, I found this much in the air, has to be smaller than, than five millimeters.
0: So plastic has existed for over a century. What have been the biggest developments in industrialization, and the biggest changes in our modern society that have brought us into this crazy age of micro and nanoplastics.
2: There was a period of a couple of decades after the invention of the first plastics where it was sane. They were making small amounts of things out of plastic clocks and all that jazz. Uh, It really took off in the 1940s during World War II, where there was this massive ramp up of production of all kinds of of goods, um, but plastics in particular, because it is such a useful material. I, I admit that it's it's light. It is very tough, and it has a lot of very good uses. And it was especially true for the military. That bump in production really started taking off after World War II, in the forties, fifties, sixties, and then you know since then has been going up exponentially. Uh, if you look at a graph of plastics production, it is insane. It is almost at this point a vertical line of production year after year. And that is because of the proliferation of single-use plastic, which is all around us and is completely unnecessary, but also in these rather sneakier ways. So our clothing is made out of plastic all that time. So things like nylon, polyester, made out of fossil fuels, something like two-thirds of clothing now is made out of plastic. And all that stuff all that clothing washing around in our washing machines sheds fibers and that flushes out to a wastewater treatment facility and out to sea or it is sequestered in something called sludge which is human waste that is then applied to fields as fertilizer so we're also applying concentrated microplastic <laughs> to our crops um so that is also a uh, Not even to say that as we're walking around in these clothing, uh, you are shedding something like a billion fibers a year uh, just walking around uh, because you're braiding the fabric. So these sneaky uh, sources of microplastic pollution, um, but also the big villain, of course, here, single use plastic. We have gotten out of control, like single use plastic wrapping in cucumbers in a a marketplace is insane as a skin. It's a cucumber so um
1: <laughs>
2: that is that is going to be a huge frontier going forward is and it, there's actually been some great movement on on banning single-use plastics um, california is, is trying to do that right now mm-hmm. um that's a big big frontier but clothing is a huge problem because
1: it's just flowing unabated into the environment and with this exponential growth in our use of plastics we're also creating an exponential problem, right, because of the way plastic breaks down. You talk about this in your book using the term plastic debt. Mm. Can you explain this to us?
2: Yeah, this was a concept uh, thought up by a couple of researchers, and I think the paper is about this plastic toxicity mm-hmm. debt. So they were saying, all right, well, we know this, well, we can, we can estimate how much plastic has escaped into the environment. The stuff that we're aware of, the you know the bottles and bags, you can you can put a number on it it's, a, it's an astronomical number. Um, there's another study that found up by 2050 the amount of plastic in the sea will outweigh all the fish. Finally. <laughs> which is a hell of a by calculation 2050. by 2050. Because we have this just Unmitigated flow of plastic of all kinds into the environment by twenty fifty will outweigh all the
1: all the fish. And um, you mean like marine life or just like fish? Fish, fish. So okay. like yeah, animals in the ocean. Bony
2: fish, sharks, cartilaginous fish. That sort of thing. wow. Um, but that's a there's a lot of fish. <laughs> so it's, a, it's a lot of it's a lot, it's of, a lot plastic. of plastic. <laughs> so anyway, um, the these researchers about the, talking about this toxicity debt. We're, we're thinking specifically about the ocean where we have all of these plastics out there breaking down. And as they do, they leach out chemicals, a vast array of which are known to be toxic to all forms of life, um, you know, marine plants, all, humans as well. So they're saying, okay, well, we're building up this debt in the oceans in particular as we're dumping all this plastic out there. We have not seen the full extent of the problems because it's going to be breaking down decade after decade. And that is if we suddenly stopped emitting plastics into the oceans entirely, which is not happening <laughs> whatsoever. So we're building up this debt that is going to be increasingly
1: difficult to climb out of. Yeah, there was a thought experiment in your book that really struck me about the uh, like measuring the amount of plastic that we're putting in the ocean per day in uh, using the unit of one garbage truck. So like you just imagine a garbage truck on the beach like backing up to the ocean and just dumping plastic into the ocean. It's constant. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's many many trucks a day.
2: and it's and that's also it's important to keep in mind that these are calculations typically done about macroplastics, the big stuff that we can see out there. It is not at all considering because the science is, is very new, the microplastics. and there are so many sources of microplastics into the environment. so cigarette butts, We throw away trillions of them a year just onto the ground. They're made out of microfibers, made out of plastic Those break down in incredible numbers. And consistently on on beach cleanup walks, cigarette butts are the number one found item of of plastic. Uh, Tire particles, so when your tires wear down, you've gotta get them replaced every once in a while. Where do you think that tire is going? It's breaking into tiny bits and flowing into the environment that's now made out of plastic, it's it's synthetic rubber. And that has been shown to lead to die-offs of fish in Washington state, a particular chemical in that microplastic. We are just scratching the surface of the consequences here of the many different kinds of microplastics having many different effects on any number of organisms out in the environment. And when we're talking about this exponential growth in the production of plastic, They are finding exponential amounts of microplastic in the environment that maps perfectly with that graph showing the production of plastics over the decades. Uh, They're finding exponential amounts in ocean sediments and in layers of peat. Peat is this plant matter that doesn't break down very well. That's actually gathering stuff that's falling out of the atmosphere. That is increasing exponentially as well. As this problem just spirals more and more out of control, we are finding an exponential amount of microplastics in the environment. So what organisms might not be suffering right now today could very well be in 5, 10, 15, 20 years.
0: What are some of the most surprising places um, in, I want to say in human biology, but in all biology where plastic is showing up?
2: Everywhere. That's what's so surprising. about it. it's, it's literally everywhere. I mean, you can go and find fish larvae in the sea with microplastics jammed up in their stomach. Um, These things get so small that they're not only getting into every organism on the planet, they're getting into individual cells. That's how small they are. Um, Because plastics, by their nature, are very tough. They break down, sure, when they're exposed to UV light in particular, but they aren't going away. They're just breaking into smaller and smaller pieces. The troubling thing is there's speculation now that they probably don't ever go away entirely they actually reach a size that is no longer subjected to forces of abrasion so they actually reach this particular nano size where they exist maybe forever so then now we have to think about okay the amount that we already have in the environment is out there for good it has corrupted basically every living thing on this planet you could be in like an underground cave system microplastics have been found in groundwater they're leaking down into aquifers and probably getting into these cave systems that are uh, sealed off from every other every environmental pollutant uh, light is not allowed in these caves but microplastics and nanoplastics are getting in there that's to me what was so surprising research in the book is that um, it's a, it's a, it's everywhere I'm not exaggerating. It's, it's in basically every organism. Um, wherever scientists look, they find plastic.
0: And that cup of tea you're drinking right now is it in there. This is
2: this. So this is the, <laughs> this is the irony, right? You can't escape it. So at home, I make tea in like a little metal thing. You put the tea leaves in, and you drop it in uh, the the cup, and great, it doesn't release plastics. I made this at work because we have tea bags in in the kitchen um tea bags are made out of plastic. <laughs> so, and you're actually like that this is the like the worst possible thing you could be doing is what I'm doing right now it. is steeping it in hot water yeah. and breaking it apart and there's been there's been studies that have calculated that this is how many we can quantify how many millions of particles break off from a single bag of tea and then you you drink it. There is no escaping it, especially because walking around we're breathing it constantly. Like if I stopped making tea, fine, but I'm still breathing it in these indoor spaces in particular that are super polluted with, you know, mostly the fibers coming off our clothes as we're walking around. It's inescapable for for us and for living things on this planet.
0: What were we talking about the other day, Mike, about optimism? You said something really interesting. (laughs) I don't remember. Oh, you said you feel, you can wake up and feel optimistic on any given day, but when it comes to existential thoughts. Oh, yeah, right. Like short
1: term, I'm an optimist, but long term, I'm a pessimist.
0: Right. Because you were reading Matt's book.
1: Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that was really (laughs) underscoring it for me. Well, speaking of optimism and pessimism, let's take a break right now. And when we come back, we can talk about some of the things that maybe we can do to help reduce this horror show. Yeah, maybe. You can't see
2: Lauren's face on the podcast, but she made a a not optimistic face. (laughs) (laughs)
1: We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back to the show. So these tiny plastics are a huge problem and there has to be something that we can do. And I'm sure most people's thoughts right now are going towards recycling. Why don't we just recycle all this plastic? Why don't we? Great question. Why why haven't we done so for the past several decades
2: when the plastics industry sold us on recycling as this big solution to plastic pollution? It was always branded as an us problem as consumers, that it's, it's our fault these things are escaping into the environment. Um, never mind the fact that the plastics industry has been producing this stuff out of control for for decades now. Um, fun fact, less than 10% of plastic has ever been recycled. That is worse now than it's ever been. There was a recent study that found that 5% of plastic in the United States is now recycled.
1: Now, is that, a f- is that by force of will, or is that... Like, are people just not recycling plastic? Are we just not doing enough of it, or is that that these things can't be recycled?
2: That is by force of capitalism, largely. So it's not that these plastics can't be recycled. It's that it's not profitable mm. to do so. A lot of plastic now is multi-layered. So when you think about um, you know, like baby food in these these flexible plastic containers, that's multi-layered plastic that is extremely difficult to recycle. Uh, you could do it, it's just going to take a lot of money and effort to do so. What we have been doing for the past several decades in the United States and in other developed nations is shipping our plastic to developing nations, we say. We don't really have the infrastructure um, to recycle this profitably because we don't have a government that ever stepped in and was like, hey, maybe this is something we should tax the plastics producers to fund. Tax. Like, I think they have a little bit of money. Uh, fossil fuel companies that we could we could take <laughs> by smell. way of taxes to like to put the burden on them for recycling. So the issue in developing countries now is that they are burning this stuff to get rid of it. Um, they are sorting through it by hand. This is a extremely toxic material that. We have always been sold as this benign thing that we should just go ahead and wrap everything and it'll be fine. Um, we have the ability to recycle much more, but it was always sold to us as a, as a consumer problem when it should have always been the producer's responsibility. Uh, you're putting this stuff out into the world. You should be responsible for where it ends up. Um, so that's what I feel the worst about at home is like I toss something in the recycling bin There's a 5% chance that it's getting recycled. That's madness. Uh, It's a big lie. And it's only because it's not profitable. That's the inferior thing about it. It, And I should say that that's the case in the United States. And other countries, Germany uh, has been doing particularly good things here where they're just investing more in this infrastructure. Um, But the burden should not be on us as, as, as consumers. It should be taxing these companies lots of money because screw them.
0: Why haven't more plastic manufacturers switched to compostable material?
2: Because that's largely a lie as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, so those 17
0: so, minutes I spend trying to open those little compostable bags at the yeah. grocery store are all for naught.
2: So, yeah. All right. So the issue with quote-unquote compostable bags is that they're compostable in a specific set of conditions. That's usually in an industrial composting facility. Where the temperatures are super high it's a hyper version of what we have in our backyard and our our compost bins where a bag would probably not break down Uh, it might break down in in these industrial processes um, but if that bag escapes into the environment and it's in the ocean that's not what it was designed to break down in it's just a fundamentally different environment you'll hear a lot about bio-based plastics these are plastics made out of carbon from plants like sugar instead of carbon from fossil fuels the issue there is if we were to like given the amount of plastic that we're producing and consuming right now if we were to replace all of that with bioplastics the amount of land that you would need to grow all these plants would be extraordinary and it would come with its own emissions from these industrial agricultural processes tremendous amounts of of water, and that is taking up land that we need to feed the human species. So there are, you're going to see probably in the coming years, better, you know, kind of better plastic materials made out of things like mushrooms, things you can grow in more sustainable ways. Um, but the, the at the end of the day, and I, I hope this comes across strongly in the book, is that the only solution to the, the microplastic crisis, like the only big really impactful thing is to just stop producing so much goddamn plastic. It's out of control. And everything, every bag and bottle that escapes out into the environment is really just pre-microplastic. It's going to break down into smaller and smaller bits and get into smaller and smaller creatures. Um, So alternatives are great, but they're no replacement for just
1: stopping with this madness. So what about products that have post-consumer plastic in them, right? Like we see this a lot where uh, a product is marketed as made of 100% post-consumer plastic, you know, recycled plastic. And it's also fully recyclable. Like this coffee cup that I have right now, this lid has stamped on the bottom of it 100% post-consumer plastic. Uh, Is this, you know, breaking the chain?
2: I mean, that's, it's getting us more toward a, a circular economy, right, where um, we f- first and foremost are just reusing the things that we're, we're buying. Um, if we need to buy plastic, like I don't have a huge deal with that plastic water bottle that's on the table because it's reused over and over. As long as you're not boiling water in it, Mm-mm. you're probably OK um, with with microplastics. Um, we just need to fundamentally shift our mentality around plastics and just like consumerism in general where everything is throwaway. and I don't know i I, I keep thinking of I, I, maybe I've been watching more westerns lately or something. I, I keep thinking about general stores. like back in the old days, you would go to the general store with like a burlap sack if you wanted beans and there'd be a big burlap sack of beans in the store and you'd scoop out beans and take them home. Presumably they were just eating beans back then if I had learned anything from cowboy movies. Um, But that was an economy where there was no plastic whatsoever and it got along just fine. Think about just in the past couple of decades we were getting along perfectly fine 30 years ago when we didn't have as many single-use plastics. Perfectly fine as an economy. And in fact, the environment was very much happier with us at that point because we weren't producing so many bottles and bags. So, um, I don't know, call it the general store <laughs> economy, but that's only going to be doable you know, more in places like we live in San Francisco where you have more local shopping. A lot of people don't have access to that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Um, and that gets into this whole equity aspect as well that, that people in low-income neighborhoods are exposed to more microplastics because they might only have access to to non-fresh foods wrapped in single-use plastic like there are a lot of people that can only afford like plastic right the fancier you know like vacuum metal thermoses that we have are not available to everyone and going forward we have to think much better about Low-income people being exposed to everything, ter- like more air pollution, more mm-hmm. hazardous chemicals, and increasing body of evidence showing that they're exposed to more microplastics. And that's going to be a huge frontier going forward. Is like making this new economy just more equitable in general.
0: So then, what are some of the solutions?
2: I mean, I, I, what I'm saying is that there are solutions. So we can buy aftermarket filters for washing machines, for one, and that will actually stop a lot of the fibers that are polluting bodies of water from from getting there. Um, France is now mandating that by 2025, all manufacturers of washing machines have to include these filters pre-installed. We don't have them in the United States. Our wastewater from washing machines just flushes straight to a wastewater treatment facility. Um, I mean I got one at home It's it works it's an aftermarket thing it's pretty easy to install but that's again placing the burden on consumers yeah. this should be on the manufacturers of these machines to include them so there's a lot of th- this stuff to work out and policy makers like um, plastic groups are, are doing a lot of good work here in uh, making this problem first of all more known to people which I hope the book also does that we have this massive problem that has been out of control for a very long time we have a lot of plastic out there that is out there for good. There's no magnet that we can drag through the environment to collect microplastic, but there are ways that we can turn down the flow of microplastics and anaplastics into the environment. Um, First and foremost,
1: it's about just stopping with the plastic. It's crazy. It's madness at this point. Well, it's good advice, and thank you for passing Mm -hmm. it along, even though it comes with a a healthy dose of darkness.
2: Yeah, I think that's... um, that's that's kind of the tagline for all of my writing for Wired
1: <laughs> and for this book, I think. Um, hey, this is cool. But, yeah, it's mm-hmm. like, what can you do? And then you just shrug. Yeah. Ah, yeah. Nothing. Well, yeah. not nothing, but it should not be us who is forced to solve this problem. Exactly. We cannot let the plastics industry bamboozle us again like they did
2: with recycling, that this is an us problem. It's a them problem. Oh, that's kind of where I have a little bit of, of hope, like getting into this optimism, is that there seems to be a tide turning here where people are realizing just how awful plastics are. And there are more studies very recently, sh- like connecting specific chemicals and plastics to early deaths, and like hundreds of thousands of early deaths in the United States alone. Um, we just have to be
1: much more careful about how we're using these plastics. All right, let's take a break and then we'll come back with recommendations. All right, welcome back. Matt, you are our guest. What's your recommendation? I've been detoxing from from microplastics,
2: (laughs) uh, researching that for quite a good part of my life. Um, I've been really into Dairy Girls on Netflix. Dairy Girls is um, a show about... The troubles in in ireland but it's it's around um this group of teenagers at a at a private catholic school it is amazing it is fantastic it's both about the politics a little bit um but also this this coming of age cliche i don't know it's just it's it's very funny very well done the nun the the woman who plays the nun is fantastic uh in a, a surly kind of way Highly recommend, um, especially if you don't want to think about microplastics. It wasn't as big of a problem back then, <laughs> back right? So when did the show <laughs> take place? They weren't worried. Uh, it was during the, the when was the um, agreement? Oh, I think it was like the nineties, so. Mid-90s? Oh, oh, that. They are, um, they're very into Fat Boy Slim, so it would have been. The 90s? The mid to late 90s. Yeah. Yeah. Nice.
0: That's a good recommendation. And you said it's on Netflix? It's on Netflix. Okay. New
2: season now, right? This, yeah, so that I just, I think the third and is it the final? Maybe the final season? I, yeah, I just finished it. Oh. Okay. Does it but.
0: come with a trigger warning for people who went to Catholic school?
2: Uh, <laughs> no, but it
1: very well should. <laughs> yeah. Are you okay. asking for a friend?
0: Yeah, asking yeah. for a pal.
1: Yeah. Uh, all right, Lauren, what's your recommendation?
0: My recommendation, very on topic today, get a good reusable water bottle or coffee mug. Mike already mentioned his coffee mug. Um, I think a lot of us here like Mir as a brand, M-I-I-R, for um, for hot coffee and other hot liquids. I'm using a Nalgene for water. I got it at REI. I've recommended it on the show before. <laughs> um, I reuse it all the time. Uh, the only time I'm not using it is if I like get to the airport and realize that I didn't bring a water bottle, and then I feel really, really bad, and then I have to buy a plastic bottle of water. I'm really trying to cut back on that. Um, I just use this or a smaller version of this all the time. Um, now I'm going to be thinking about every time I run it through the dishwasher. What am I actually doing to the environment?
2: Yeah, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, uh, hand wash it. Hand wash it. But can, can I um, be a little optimistic?
0: Yes. Again, <laughs>
1: I, and, I, and yes, s- we'll allow that. and, yes. and,
2: <laughs> and say that um, I think it's actually really great when people do individual things like that. So this yeah. is a big debate in, in climate action as well as like as an individual. How how much of a difference can I make? Like, can I fly less, and is that going to make a dent? No. But I think. Uh, like a a bunch of these smaller actions. So like more people buying reusable water bottles uh, that ideally made out of metal is a small thing that you as an individual can do. But I think the more people that do that, you get kind of like a critical mass. And that just becomes the norm, hopefully in the near future, because we should not be drinking out of single-use water
0: bottles. Yes. And rant. Totally. And I have noticed at more modern airports these days, there's a lot of encouragement around refilling your water bottle. There are water bottle stations everywhere. They put a little digital clock up that shows, or it's like a tally, it's a clock, you know, that yeah. shows you how many um, bottles of water that you're saving from being put into the environment. Yeah, it's just like, it's really easy. It's like right when you get past security. Uh, so there's no reason not to bring your own reusable water bottle when you're traveling.
1: I bring it ev- absolutely everywhere. Yep. yep. I've gotten into the habit of just carrying it everywhere.
0: The same. Same, and people put stickers on them, to personalize <laughs> yeah. them. Yeah, you can get a. Where's your? Uh,
1: you got an Nalgene bottle, but you don't have any fish stickers on there. <laughs> no, no fish
0: stickers. Yeah. I hate to disappoint the All fish right. heads.
1: Uh, maybe I have a couple I can float you. Maybe
0: these. I have a wired sticker. Fantastic. These are very like outdoorsy. There's a lot of uh, Lake Tahoe in reference to. There's this surf
1: thing. Yeah, hold it up a little I'm, higher so all the listeners can see it. I,
0: I'm <laughs> <laughs> uh, speaking of surfing, now I'm going to think of every time I go in the water, I'm going to think about the microplastics that my board is shedding or yeah. my wetsuit, yeah. uh, which is made of petroleum, right? Yeah. Neoprene derives from petroleum. And I mean, no, yeah, none of that is like, you're, you're like communing with nature. You feel at one with nature, but everything surrounding you is this uh, synthetic sort of thing.
2: Do you want to hear something wild?
0: Yes. I mean, you're here. <laughs> uh, <I> am, <laughs> Please tell us more.
2: Okay, I'm descending back into uh, pessimism okay. and nihilism. Okay, thanks for the warning. Um, w- so when bubbles come up in the ocean from from up depth, they carry a bunch of stuff like bacteria and just little bits of living things. They also now carry microplastics. And these researchers sh- showed in the lab how when that bubble comes up to the surface, it pops and ejects all the stuff that it's carried, including microplastics, into the air. So the oceans are burping microplastics into sea breezes that then blow on shore. Um, So sorry. Uh, (laughs) That's not going to help your surfing. But when you are floating on the water, what's coming off, like the aerosols coming off of the water now include a good amount of microplastics. So it's
0: a symbiotic relationship. I'm depositing microplastics into the water and they're coming. They're burping back up at me.
2: The... (sighs) That's That's great. How do do I phrase this? The fascinating yet terrifying thing about microplastics research in general is that it's actually helping further science of how all these processes are in general connected. So like how the air is connected to the sea and how the land is connected to the air. Just like people modeling how microplastics are moving around actually help further science in, in other ways. So maybe the only benefit of microplastics... I'll say that's is, the that's the only one. Is that it's teaching us? Is that it's teaching how is, everything is just connected, man? Yes. Um, so the microplastics research began in oceans, and the thinking was originally, okay, well, much of the stuff is flowing into the sea. That's probably where it's staying. It's like the sink of of microplastics. But um, this modeling is showing, uh, and measurements taken from from ocean breezes are showing that no, it's it's all fundamentally connected to the atmosphere um when rain falls um oceans and lakes equally are are polluted it seems when rain falls and the raindrop smacks the surface of the water it flings (laughs) the microplastics in that body of water into the sky it's uh it's all connected man and in very scary ways when it comes to microplastics we're we're on such a good track talking about solutions mm-hmm. and yeah, you know, so trying the, to be okay. positive. This
1: is the recommendations portion <laughs> of the show. tracking <laughs> 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 with your talk yeah. about our recommendations move to Mars. <laughs> that
2: will solve all of our problems. That's actually
1: related to my recommendation. Okay. All
0: right, what's your recommendation?
1: Uh well, you know, Mr. Mars Elon, it's he's probably going to own Twitter. He's going to be buying Twitter. That is at this point we're recording this on Wednesday, almost certainly going to happen within the next couple of weeks. So um, Twitter might get weird. It might get worse again after getting a little bit better for a while, uh, depending on your point of view, depending on your POV politically and of humanity, it's it'll either get worse or, or better. Um, from where I sit, it's going to become more chaotic and it might be harder to find the humanity. And the goodness in Twitter when all of the policies that have been enacted over the last couple of years inevitably change on the platform. So let's bring back Follow Friday. This is my recommendation. Wait, your
0: recommendation is to use more Twitter? I thought yes. you were going to say like, so go join Discord.
1: No, nobody should join Discord, to be clear. I don't know what <laughs> Discord is. And I'm too afraid to ask that's at why. this point. That's why. there is it's you. You're on Twitter for the community, right? You're on Twitter because that's where everybody else hangs out. So amplify the people who you want to hang out with on Twitter. So follow Friday. It used to be a thing. I'm sure it still is a thing in some circles, but back in the day, it was a very important part of Twitter where people shared the people in in their lives that they wanted to amplify. So you tweet out on Friday a recommended follow or two or three and say a few words about why you're recommending that somebody follows this person. So, you know, I could say, follow Friday like hashtag ff or hashtag follow Friday follow Matt Simon because his book is out this week and he is a a, a resident doomsayer and he always has interesting and terrifying things to say about how we're treating the environment and what's coming back to haunt us mm. does that does that hit my character limit no I like so, that, yeah.
2: except I don't use Twitter because it's a hellscape
0: <laughs> so so people
2: can
1: follow All right, so don't they, follow Matt want, but you but, you know you get it right that's what follow Friday's for it's for telling people who they should follow to make Twitter better.
2: Now, not to get off topic, but is there a way to, like if people decide to leave Twitter en masse, is there, if not an alternative, like a similar alternative now, a way to build something that isn't just an absolute nightmare?
1: Yeah, um, you know, that's what Discord is for. It's for smaller communities. It's for, I mean, there there are larger communities on Discord, but, you know. It's
0: a little bit more chaotic.
1: It is, uh, and more segregated. Right. Mm. So there are um, like it's it's harder visually to sort of follow things.
0: It's almost like if Slack met Twitter.
1: Yeah, that's that's a oh, really good yeah. descriptor. So yeah. like think about it like <laughs> channels <laughs> and the channels
0: are themed. And so you would go find a particular channel, but then it's supposed to replicate some of the near real time chat and and. Replies and threading and stuff that exist on Twitter.
1: Yeah, so that's that's a really good point. Every other viable alternative that people propose for Twitter has uh, more chaos and greater barrier to entry, right? Like Mastodon, you need to know how servers work, and you need to you know be invited, know somebody. There is all of this barrier that keeps you from just having an experience right away and it being something that your brain can manage. And that's something that Twitter got really, really good at over the last like 15 years or whatever. Um, And the other platforms have not really gotten very good at. So it's still a special place, I think, on the internet.
0: I think that there should be a social network that's just called like screenshot, but remove all of the vowels because you have to if you're starting a Silicon Valley company Hmm. and you take private messaging, which really is the fundamentally important social network. And you can screenshot and share certain conversations that you're having in your in your PMs or your DMs. And then occasionally you can open it up for other people to then reply to your threads on screenshots. And other times you're just posting because it's a little bit exhibitionist, but you're also trying to contribute to a broader conversation. Yeah, that would be my startup if I were to launch a Twitter competitor.
1: That's good. I have one note. Okay. If you remove all the vowels, people will just call it screen shit.
0: <laughs> That's fine.
1: <laughs> well, um, as we have out, learned right? from Mr.
0: Mars, no PR is bad PR. So <laughs> yes, call it screen shit. Call it screen shitty. I don't care.
1: All right. Well, Matt, thanks for being here. Thanks for joining us. Congratulations on the book. Thank you. I appreciate it. And um, sorry to depress everyone. It's it's quite all right. I mean, I must say, as depressing as it is, it it is a riveting book. Thank you. I blew right through it. It's called A Poison Like No Other: How Microplastics Corrupted Our Planet and Our Bodies, and it's out this week. And there's an audiobook too.
2: There's an audiobook. Yeah. yeah.
0: Do you read it?
1: No, they they didn't they didn't ask me. <laughs> not,
2: my my other my <laughs> previous books, they have not asked me. I I've had friends who've written books, and they say, hey, do you wanna do you wanna voice it? They didn't ask me. I don't know. Maybe my voice sucks.
1: Uh, well, no, you. I mean, our listeners will be the judge of that. Yeah. Ultimately, I'm sure, but I can tell you, you have a lovely voice. Yeah, we we'll keep oh, thank asking you. you
0: back on, Matt. So you know, Great. don't sweat it. Just
1: <laughs> rant some more. Everybody <laughs> so, wants that. So thanks for coming on the show. Yes, thank you. Appreciate it. And thank you all for listening. If you have feedback, you can find all of us on Twitter. For now, just check the show notes. <laughs> our producer is Boone Ashworth. We will be back next week. Goodbye.